Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 48. And before we get into it, let me just tell you about our new website at www.camerashakepodcast.com. Do us a flavor, go on there, check it out and join our community. If you go to the top left-hand side of the screen, click on join the community and subscribe to our newsletter. That'd be super awesome. We've got lots of like behind the scenes, uh, kind of extra content that we're going to be putting out. It would be super awesome if you would join us. But for now, let's go straight into it with our guest, episode 48. We're back with Dana Did It. Hey, Dana, man, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Not too bad. Well, you're back because a few weeks ago, you challenged us to a challenge. <laughs> I challenged you to a challenge. We challenged <laughs> us to a challenge. It was challenging, but we managed <laughs> it. We managed. <laughs> so we got challenged to, to a, um, a photo challenge. Do you want to just explain to our viewers exactly what was happening? Yeah. So, I mean, we were trying to come up with, with some kind of an idea for some kind of a photo challenge that we could do. And and the, the idea of this, the five rooms challenge. Uh, and I pick five rooms because I live in a two-bedroom apartment and that's about how many rooms there were. But the, <laughs> the idea is you go into into each room in your house and you pick one item and somehow have to create some kind of a, a, a photo scene from that, from those items that you pick. And it, it doesn't necessarily, there's, there's no kind of directive as far as like the items don't need to be the subject of the shot or, or anything like that. They just have to kind of somehow play a part in the, in that scene. And so, um, you know, you go into your, your kitchen, your bathroom, your bedroom, your living room, and then there was kind of room for if you have a, a an office or, or if you just want to leave that fifth one up to, to whatever, if you want to pull that one from out of a closet or something like that, you could do that too. But the idea is five items, all from different rooms within your house that create this one kind of photo. You know, when you first suggested that uh, last time, I thought, oh, that's going to be easy, right? No problem. Um, and then I started thinking about it, and I realized this was going to be much harder than I thought. Wasn't it? And, <laughs> you know, um, it, did you guys find that just, was that the only one who found it tricky? Or it was hard, man. It was really hard. I couldn't. It took me ages to come up with an idea. But when I did come up with the idea, I was away. It was hard though. <laughs> How about you, Donna? Yeah, honestly, I kind of went the other way. I thought it was going to be hard, and then it wasn't as much. But I went really minimal with mine too. Like, um, yeah, it's. I mean, everyone's going to see kind of what it is in the end. But like, I tried not to put too many things in the frame. So like one of my objects that I picked was specifically my uh, table in my living room. Ah. And that was the base of the photo. So I made sure that it made it in, but it was like, it was also kind of like uh, a backdrop. And then I also used a book as a backdrop, like as the the backside of it kind of thing. So I tried not to like complicate the picture with too many things in it. Cause I think that was the problem I assumed would happen mm. is that like, I have to pick five items. They're all from different places in the house. And so then how am I going to make those five items fit together? And so then instead of trying to like, clutter the uh clutter the frame with a bunch of different stuff it was more like i used uh i used them in clever ways kind of thing but yeah i i honestly i thought it was going to be really hard and then once i like walked around the house and grabbed everything i kind of like threw it together it probably took me like less than five minutes to do 
And then I slapped an edit on my phone and I sent it over to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's a you know, lateral thinking. I, like I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went the opposite way on it. <laughs> well, you know, because for me, it was more like, you know, okay, so I've got five items and then, you know, and I'm like, can I get away with putting something else in there? Like, you know, <laughs> so it be, the challenge it became um, having to restrict myself to, to five to five items. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, when we come to the actual shot, it's debatable as to whether there really are five items in the picture or not. But hey, I'm, you I'm, know. I'm counting about 25. Well, just, <laughs> you know, but if you know, if, if you know my kind of my, my photos, um, you'll know that they're always busy. That's, you know, minimal might be a good lesson for me. That's for yeah, sure. looking at looking at my photos compared to your guys is is definitely interesting. But I did find that was that was true as well. Like I got once I got my five items and I put everything in there, I was like, is this is it too little? Like like I could I could grab five more items from each room, <laughs> you know, and and like and kind of like create a little bit more atmosphere for it. But I did try to stick with just kind of what was you know just the five items if I could and. Uh, it turned out kind of cool, especially once you kind of once you frame it up and crop it in. Like you can kind of hide so much, and you can get so uh, interesting with the framing of it as well. I think that's the the beauty of this idea of a challenge so open ended. You know, when you guys get to see all three of these photos, they couldn't be more different. Totally. Got completely different approaches in all of it. Um, so that yeah, that's why I love it. I I'd encourage everybody out there to actually try this challenge as well have a look at how we've gone about it and see if you can come up with some different ideas as well mm. Mm -hmm. and of course if if you um did see our last photo challenge um a few weeks ago we went into um into detail in terms of how we edited the whole thing how we shot it we're not going to do that this time what we are going to do though is we're going to give you a behind the scenes kind of impression as to how we put the whole thing together and basically what the thinking was um but we'll we'll get to that in a bit now i think before we get into that, though, let's just see what else has been happening over the last few weeks. Because Dana, I know you've been extremely busy um, pumping up, pumping out, pumping up, pumping out a lot of content. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's been a, it's been quite the balance lately. The, the the big thing that I'm working on right now is that uh, the Moment International Film Festival. If you guys know Moment, uh, they're they're known I think originally from making lenses for your phone. So these little guys here. Right. Let me see if I can get it. You throw that on your phone and you can get like a wider angle and stuff like that. Um, and that's what they're known for. But now they've got, uh, they've opened up their store. They're now uh, a retailer for all the, a lot of popular brands that, uh, that people like. They also do lessons. And then every year they have the Moment International Film Festival, Invitational Film Festival. I don't know what the I stands for, uh, <laughs> but uh, they have MIF. And uh, and they they try and do some kind of workshops and stuff with it. And I'm one of the teachers of one of these workshops this year um, for the audio portion of it, which I'm really excited about. So I've been working really hard on that. Um, and uh, if if you noticed last week, my my video on uh, YouTube Shorts was primarily not my face. I I invited uh, a friend James Archer in to to do his thing uh, and analyze the the tests that I've been doing with YouTube Shorts and that kind of gave me a little bit of a a break to work more on the moment stuff and uh, and a little bit less on the YouTube but yeah it's been it's been crazy trying to trying to keep up with everything and I'm I'm super excited about everything that's happening so it's the um is that 
film festival? Is it like a is that an online thing at the moment, or does it actually? Yeah, so it's 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 all online at the moment. Um, pun intended there, and uh, yeah, and it's 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 all uh, using phones. So you have to shoot. You shoot. Uh, I think they have different categories. So uh, you got a couple of different categories of types of videos that you can shoot, um, and huge, huge prizes, like really, really big prizes. And they've been doing this for uh, a handful of years now, and it's it's always kind of a big deal. And then they. I believe normally they would do uh, a screening uh, of the winners uh, and 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 some of the kind of top submissions uh, for the end of the competition. I'm not 100% sure what they're doing. You'll have to check out the the website to to figure out what they're doing as far as the end of it. Now I've been so entrenched in trying to get my lesson done. Um, in fact, during this conversation, somebody texted me and was like, "Hey, are all your files uploaded?" So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but, uh, but it's, it's really cool and it's really like community led and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and it, it challenges a lot of people having to shoot with your phone and, uh, and make the whole thing, even if you have a, a fancy camera, you kind of have to pare down and like, and really start to think about, um, your shots and how you're going to put things together and stuff. So it's a cool, it's a cool challenge if nothing else. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's a very that's really a very interesting challenge generally. And I think, you know, that's very beneficial for anybody because we can quite easily get to the point where we're really uh, almost like relying on, you know, the latest camera tech. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we said that the other day when we were talking uh, to one of our guests and, um, you know, and we were talking about uh, the latest sort of eye detection, autofocus can technology, yeah. you know, but the fact of the matter is it's, you know, people used to take awesome images even before that was even a thing, you know, even before autofocus was even a thing. So mm -hmm. it's like, although these technologies are super helpful at the base of it, you know, it's, it, you know, if, if you creatively, if you can create an awesome photo and you can make it, you can create that with just about anything. You, yeah. you, don't, you don't need those bells and whistles, right? It's just that they're tools just to make our life yeah. that bit easier. easier. That's right. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So, because we were thinking about this um, some time ago, my, my daughter got her first Nikon camera um, a year ago, and it's like one of these little kids' cameras. You know, it's like waterproof and shockproof, and you can throw it from the top of a building and like you know, drop it down to the Titanic, and it'll still work basically. And it's got lots of like parrots and birds on the front and whatever. Um, but it's like a, it's like something like a like a fourteen megapixel sensor in it. So it's yeah. actually not wow. a that little little camera yeah it's, it's more than more megapixels than this has well exactly <laughs> and so you know i kind of thought like what if i went out and i shot a project with that camera rather than with in my studio camera for example yeah R remind you know, me that, remind me what color that camera is again it's kind of yellow golden okay. colorful and <laughs> i can follow you around and video you while you're that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the idea. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, that's the challenge. You know, challenge. Yeah, I'm challenging myself to do that. There you go. Actually, there are a couple of a couple of channels that I've seen that have done similar things. Uh, I think Je Jessica Kobesi, Col I think it's how you oh, say yeah. her name. I think she's done a, a challenge where she got a couple of her friends together and they had to shoot on that. Uh, and Brandon Wolfel, or that might have been on his channel featuring her or something like that. But uh, I think they did something like that where it was like the, the disposal disposable, disposable yeah. uh, challenge or whatever, or like going on and buying the cheapest $15 digital camera that you can find on Amazon and, and using that and seeing how it looks or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I think that's cool because then it, it takes away, like you said, any of that kind of reliance that you have on the the fancy tools that we have. Yeah. And it's it's also, you know, it's it's a good it's a good exercise, you know, especially in a situation like this. I mean, we're over here in the UK, you know, we're still in a national lockdown and you mm -hmm. still can't really go out and do do many things. So, you know, if if you're looking for something uh slightly more interesting to challenge yourself, then these are really good uh, little challenges. You know, yeah. The five room challenge is great. Um, you know, just reducing your, you know, taking pictures with your phone, for example, if that's if that's all you have, or like, you know, a cheap, like disposable camera or something like that will do it. Um, yeah. you know, all of that's all of that's very good. And of course it'll make you a better photographer in the end. Even if even if those specific photos aren't useful to you in any way, the the experience of it is something that will will teach you to be better at what you're trying to do. Yeah. And of course, you know, anything like that is, you know, it just, it will just drive your creativity further because, mm -hmm. you know, and the next time your main camera doesn't play ball, then at least, you know, you've got something you to go. fall back on. Yeah. <laughs> you can always, you can always go grab a, a $5 Fujifilm disposable and you, you'll be fine. Shoot that yeah. wedding. No problem. Well, so actually, you know, talking about, talking about Fujifilm, uh, one of the challenges for me was I, I thought, um, I wanted to create the behind the scenes video thing solely on my Fuji X100F. Um, mainly because, I mean, this, this, this camera is not built for video at all. It's totally, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fixed focal length, um, 24 megapixel, you know, camera, which is a great street photographer, uh, you know, street photography camera. It's great for a lot of things. I got it to, uh, limit myself to having a camera with, you know, where I couldn't change the lenses. Um, and, but the video files look really good. I like them. I like the colors in it. And so I kind of thought, you know, would it be cool to shoot the whole thing on that camera and then not having to go through like the Rick Morale of color grading everything to the nth degree, but actually just use the, you know, the Nikon, uh, the, Nikon the Fuji built-in color profiles. And I mean, I did do some color grading on it in the end, actually, but it was just kind of, uh, the idea was to simplify the process, mm -hmm. you know, and in doing that, I realized that I can totally use that camera for some video stuff. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what everyone's, uh, raving about right now with, uh, um, Sony adding S Cinetone into the A7S III via, uh, a firmware upgrade because S Cinetone is supposed to be this magical, uh, straight out of camera. You don't have to color grade it kind of thing. Um, and it is like for, for people who are looking for that workflow, that's really great. I can't see myself ever releasing something without color grading at first. <laughs> and generally, like I, at, at this point, like for, for my own stuff, which doesn't need to be like super color accurate and like generally it's only like two or three shots kind of mixed together. Like it doesn't, it really, even if I shoot S log three, like it doesn't take me a long time to grade. It's like, I, mm. I slap on my S log three to rec 709 thing. And then I'm basically where I would be if I shot without a picture profile anyway. And so then it like, it doesn't take that much time. So like, it's, it's cool that it's now there for the people who are going to use it and like, or for people who aren't comfortable with color grading or something along those lines. But like, that's, that's honestly probably my favorite part of the whole process is color mm -hmm. grading. And I could, mm -hmm. I could just do it all day. I've been thinking more and more about that lately. Like, should I be trying to get like color grading gigs? Like where I'm just the colorist on that? Like, would that be... Mm -hmm especially as someone who's still learning a lot about this, uh, 
this kind of field and stuff. It's like the different jobs that are throughout filmmaking and photography and that kind of stuff. Right now, as a YouTuber, I have to be everything. But there are jobs out there that are just one or the other, and uh, and trying to think about like, oh, would it be cool to just be a colorist for a day instead of instead of having to be a DP and a director and the writer and the talent and the editor and the color grader, you know, like everything that goes into it. Um, so yeah, but that's that's one of my favorite parts. So I tell you what, since since the beginning of the pandemic, I've I've been getting almost daily. I'd say probably at least like four to five times a week, I get emails uh, from from like new and upcoming retouches offering the services. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like. Anybody who runs Photoshop um, mm-hmm. has now turned into a retoucher, but I just get different emails from different people. Like, that's almost so every funny. Day. Hey, they got to do what they got to do. They're hustling. Oh, that's right. I mean, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, and I do, I do use retouches once in a while, especially for like volume jobs and stuff like that. But uh, I don't, you know, I don't have that much output for, you know, it's it's like there's definitely more retouches than photographers at the moment. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But coming back to the to the color grading thing, it's for those um, for those viewers and listeners uh, who, who may not be uh, totally uh, familiar with what color grading actually is. Um, so in video, um, when you know very often uh, we shoot in what's called a log profile. And uh, Nick, do you want to uh, quickly explain what that means and what that does? Because yeah, honest. sure. Thank you. So when you shoot in. Um, when you shoot in regular a regular profile like Rec Rec Seven Eight Nine, which is a standard kind of space that we we use, right? Um, it, it let's just say that what it's capturing is a, a line like this, right? Let's just imagine it like that. When you shoot in log, it captures it in a different kind of way. So what that enables you to do, in its simplest terms, is ca- uh, capture more stops of light. So just as an extreme example, if in Rec. 709, it will capture uh, like 10 stops of light, right? In uh, certain log profiles, and they do, they all vary a lot in the way that they work, you might be able to capture 15 stops of light. So what that means in real terms is that your highlights won't, and your uh, blacks won't clip as soon as uh, if you were just in a regular Rec. 709 space. So it's a bit like as a photographer, if you shoot in RAW and you get more detail in the shadows and in the highlights, so you can pull them back if you need to. Like if you, for instance, if you shot a JPEG, um, you know, and something, something's gone totally black, you don't necessarily, or you're not necessarily able to retrieve a lot of the detail in the shadows, for example, whilst if you shot in, in this, RAW. Yeah. Is that a similar thing? It, it is It is a similar thing. However, if you do clip your highlights and your shadows in log, you, you won't be getting those back. Right. They're, they're gone but the dynamic range is so great yeah. that you know you should be or you should be all right there are downsides to shooting in log um you know partly you really need to be viewing uh, you need a lot on your screen to be able to really see what's going on if the camera shoots log generally they will have a lot built in so you can actually see what it really looks like because mm. if you don't have that lot on for those of you who haven't seen log footage on its own it basically looks gray the whole thing just looks really washed out and gray. It's not pleasant. You don't really know what's going on with the colors properly. Yeah. So you need a lot to kind of see what what what's actually happening. The other the other downside, um, uh, the other downside with it is that you do generally need to shoot overexposed compared to what your camera is telling you 
it's at. Um, and that's that's because log footage is generally a bit noisier than standard profile. So if you're shooting slightly overexposed, there's lots of different theories and arguments around this online. This is generally what I do. If you're shooting slightly overexposed, you're going to bring down those shadows. Therefore, okay. you're going to bring down that noise at the same time. It will be less noticeable and visible because where you see noise is generally in the darker areas of an image mm -hmm. rather than the, the highlights area. Um, so that's the kind of thinking behind it. it takes practice. It really does, like anything. But when you've got it and you know what you're doing with log and you know where you need to set it in certain situations, particularly lighting situations, mm -hmm. it's, it's a great tool to have. Um, I mean, I'm shooting in log right now for myself. Do I need to? For this scenario, so control? No, no, I really, really don't. <laughs> See, it's an it's an interesting thing, you know, because um, photographically speaking, uh, when I especially when I shoot in low light situations like concerts, for example, I always shoot um, slightly underexposed because you know I know that'll get me, um, you know, I can crank the shutter speed up a little bit more that way, yeah. and I know that I'm going to get that back in post because I know I have that detail in the shadow yeah. still. So it's kind of like the exact opposite, you know, theory of that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? How that how that pans out. Log log is a funny funny thing. I mean, mm. there's there's three different log versions for for Canon, right? And they all vary in this where how they work. Some are you know have more dynamic range than 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 the others. And actually, this is just something's well just an aside. Something that's worth um, mentioning while we're talking about log is that you will get the most dynamic range when you're using log when you're set at the base ISO for your sensor and your camera. And that'll be in the manual what the base ISO is. So for example, well, the base ISO for the C70 is 800. So I'm going to get the maximum dynamic range. However, it's slightly noisy. If I shoot at ISO 100, I will get less dynamic range. The dynamic range isn't even above middle gray, like um, six stops above, six stops below. It's actually more like, four to five stops above and seven to eight stops below that you get. If I shoot higher than 800, then the, the reverse is true as well. You get more stops in the, high, uh, in the highlights range than you do in the shadows. So it's a bit of a balancing act and it is worth understanding how that works for your particular camera and your particular log um, sort of profile that you're, you're using because they're all very different. So Dana, when when you produce your um, your YouTube uh, content, uh, do you go through the same process? Like you basically you shoot it, then you you uh, you color it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So I shoot I shoot everything now that I have the A seven S three and I can shoot ten bit. I shoot everything in S log three, um, which is like the the flattest, uh, most desaturated, uh, and highest dynamic range uh, setting that you can get for. Uh, Sony cameras. Um, I didn't when I, I was shooting S log two for a long time, which is slightly less dynamic range. Um, and that was specifically when I was on my a seven three and I could only shoot eight bit, uh, video. Um, and so you have to be careful. That's another thing to keep in mind. And again, like, like you said, like mentioning, um, understanding your camera and the capabilities therein, like you want to know what the files that you're getting, how far can you stretch them out? Cause what it does with, um, with log footage is, is it squishes 
it squishes everything in. So basically, if if this is the highest that the camera can capture and this is the lowest that the camera can capture, it squishes them down so that it can fit it inside that file. And then when you get it back out, you have to de kind of de-squeeze it. Um, and so if you've only got 8-bit color and you start to try and de-squeeze that, that file that you've squished, if it was like, if it was the S-Log3 that's like really squished in, it starts to kind of fall apart and you can see that. Whereas like if you're, if you're into photography and you deal with raw files, you can push that stuff like crazy, like no, no problem. You can pull it all over the place. Obviously it does, it does have its limits, but when you're dealing with video, um, each image of those 24 or 25 images per second are significantly smaller than any raw image, unless of course you're shooting, actually shooting in raw video, which is, is a whole nother world. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I've been shooting everything in S log three since I got 10 bit on the a seven S three and it's absolutely wonderful. I don't ever want to shoot anything else. Generally, it gives me so much flexibility, even, even when I'm in fully controlled situations, I like having, the flexibility of like, let's say you've got practical lights in the background. If they're not dimmable, then shooting an S-Log3 gives me the ability to do some work on them. Whereas like if you're shooting in a standard profile, they might just be blown out and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and you know, you just kind of have to live with it. Whereas like having that, that flat profile allows me to do more with it, even in a, even in a controlled situation, I might, it might be as simple as slap on a, uh, a color space transform so that I'm going from, you know, the, the standard S log three to rec 709. And I did a good enough job of controlling all my lights in the room that there might not be much work after that, but I love just having the extra flexibility of it. Again, it's like, you know, similar to shooting raw versus JPEG. It's like, if, if you're going to shoot JPEG, yes, there are some advantages there, uh, file sizes and, and the, the ease of like, kind of what you see is what you get. Like you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're, uh, you're happy with how your, your image is looking straight at a camera. Cause you're, you only have so much flexibility editing wise, but I'll almost always take the extra flexibility, um, for my workflow, even for, for my, my studio videos here where I'm, I'm shooting YouTube stuff. You know what I always wonder, I'm, I'm sure you'd be able to tell me this actually, because you, you know, like you said, you used to uh, shoot with, you know, eight bit color. And now you're shooting with 10 bit, you know, when, when, when it comes to uploading that to YouTube with all the compression that takes place, is, is there still like a discernible, like noticeable difference in the, in the video as it then appears on YouTube or, or not? So it's not, it's not really about the upload the way that it looks when you upload it necessarily, it's about the flexibility that you have in editing. Really, like, I mean, even even when we, uh, if, if we think about audio, we record at these crazy high bit rates and these crazy high sample rates, but then we always export it at 44, one, 16 bit for CD quality. It's always like this. You, so you record at as high a quality as you can, even if you're going to export it at a lower quality and, and you can tell the difference, but I think the difference is less that you recorded it in 10 bit and, and exported it into like a, a super compressed MP4 format or whatever. And more so the, the difference is going to be the fact that you had the flexibility to make the image look better and uh, you might get less of that banding and stuff, not because you shot in 10 bit necessarily right off the bat, but because when you started to push things around, you didn't start to pull 
the gradients apart too much, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's less that like, if you just shoot in 10 bit and then upload it straight to, to YouTube, it's not going to look any better. It's all about the fact that you have more flexibility in the process of color grading and editing and all of those kinds of things. I, I think of 10 bit versus eight bit in, a, in, for, for color in the way that I think of 4K and 1080. So if I shoot a 4K and then export a 1080, the quality of image is going to be higher still, even though it's still at 1080, had in the, compared to if I just recorded it at 1080 to begin with. 8-bit and 10-bit, it's, it's, you know, you know, so it's only two difference. Actually, the difference is massive. I mean, I think we're talking like a... Uh, this is going to be completely wrong, but it's like millions of extra colors in there or something ridiculous like that. And where mm -hmm. you really notice it is um, uh, if you take an 8-bit shot of the sky, a blue sky, and you take a 10-bit shot of it as well, you're going to really notice it there. In the 8-bit shot, you might see, as, as Dana just said, sort of kind of banding. Um, you might see a bit of sort of blocky kind of um, pixels and whatnot in there too. But when you then shoot in 10-bit, that is probably going to all be gone. So then when you do export that, even once it's compressed up to YouTube and so forth, that blockiness and that banding is not going to be there. It might be, but <laughs> it might be. Yeah. <laughs> the, compression, the compression does have a tendency to add some of that back in. Uh, speaking, especially as someone who has a black background, dark colors don't uh, do yeah. very well with, uh, with compression. Um, and like you can see, like I have this light up in, in my background. And so I've got this kind of gradient that goes up from the middle. It's almost like a, a vignette kind of thing. And it, it, you'll get some banding in those areas if you don't know what you're doing. Like so you mentioned earlier, um, making sure that you overexpose your log footage or, or, or expose it to the right so that you're getting as much of that information into the brighter areas that helps a lot. And, but in the end, like YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, they're all going to compress the heck out of it. And it will create some of that again, but it does, it does definitely help to have the proper image. If you give YouTube, uh, a, an image with banding on it already, the banding is not going to go away when it compresses yeah. it. However, if you give it a, an image with no banding on it, there's a chance that it's only going to screw it up this much <laughs> instead of this much, you know? Now, the other thing I thought uh, that, that was actually, that really uh, struck me um, in some of your recent videos is the fact that you, um, you seem to have sort of switched from Premiere Pro to DaVinci. Yeah. <laughs> Why, why did that switch happen? And like, what, like, what was your, honestly, it was, it was it? kind of unintentional, uh, to start with. So, uh, closer to the start of, uh, when, when things were getting locked down one way or another in all sorts of different places, uh, Apple released that they were going to be making final cut pro, uh, a 90 day free trial instead of a 30 day free trial. I thought, you know what? why the heck not? Like I, I could maybe make some content out of it. I'm going to try final cut for 90 days and chances are I'll make some kind of a final cut versus premiere pro, uh, video. And so then I tried final cut for 90 days, did it for three months and was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like I might as well finish the experiment with the other of the like kind of three main ones, or I, I always thought of them as the three main softwares was uh, Premiere Pro, Final Cut, and then DaVinci Resolve. DaVinci Resolve is free anyway. So I was like, okay, this is, I can go grab a, grab a trial of that. Um, but I liked it so much that within the first week I paid for the full version. Um, 
Not that you need to by any means, but uh, it does. It does. There are a couple of limitations that uh, I would have run into. For example, it doesn't. Uh, at the time, I was shooting with my A7 III, so it was all 8-bit, but it doesn't, the free version doesn't deal with 10-bit files. You can't, uh, uh, or you would have to transcode them into a, a ProRes or something first, but the MP4s, it won't deal with uh, um, XAVCS, the ones that I was dealing with anyway. So, um, so yeah, I, I liked it so much that within the first week, I had already paid for the, paid for the upgrade, uh, which is... Uh, a side note you get like you have to buy it from a store and you get a card mailed to you with the license key on it like we're in like 2004 yeah so you have to like (laughs) wait for it so i thought i thought you know what i'll i'll go get the full version and like i'll download it and then they'll send me an email with the license key in it and and i'll just activate it and all of a sudden i'll have access to like the noise reduction and the color space transform and the 10-bit files and stuff like that nope I had to wait like two weeks for it to come here from, I had to, I had to find a store that had a key in stock. So like it's the, they have limited stock cause they like literally sent out like, it's like a, it looked like a birthday card with a little, a little gift certificate card in it. Um, <laughs> and wow. so the, yeah, they're, they're a little behind the times on that, but they've made, uh, they've made some great strides uh, from even like, uh, version 15, 16, and 17 seem to be where they really have gone into trying to make it a great editing software. Um, it's also like, it's really all built in. So like, for example, when you're using Premiere Pro, if you want to do your, um, like any kind of animations and that kind of stuff, or if you want to do any kind of composites, you're going to hop over into After Effects. And it, it Adobe has a great system for that with their Adobe Adobe Link. I, I dynamic link. dynamic yeah. link. Yeah. So and and that it does work really well, but you're still opening another program. And if you want to edit your audio, uh, you might want to open audition and and you go back and forth between those. And and they they have made it like reasonably seamless but again you're still opening other programs whereas in uh, davinci resolve one of the things that i i love is that they built their compositing uh software directly in so it's called uh fusion uh and and it's like it's it's a a, a button at the bottom and it opens similarly to what you would do with um with uh, after effects where it kind of creates a fusion composition like you would have to create an after effects composition and that kind of stuff and then you go but it's all like within the same window like almost like you just open up a new tab in the same window same thing with their audio uh editor and and mixing section it's called fairlight and it's all built right into there so it's it's easy you're looking at the same timeline but in different programs kind of thing and i i just really loved the way that it was laid out it really felt like a halfway bet- between premiere and final cut especially being a mac user um where final cut runs so well on on the you know comparatively to premiere pro who's always they they always have to develop for both pc and for mac and you know that takes extra manpower and it takes extra time and there it's a it's an old uh, an old system that they're tr- trying to find that that place between like updating it or rebuilding it for the new systems that we have and and Apple is obviously changing all the time so like it's it's this constant struggle 
Um, and so you switch over to Final Cut Pro for 90 days and you realize, oh my gosh, this runs so smoothly, so well, the render times are so fast, that kind of thing. But you know, personally, I didn't like the way that it was laid out as much and the way that the editing worked on it as much. Like I don't, I don't really like the magnetic timeline. I preferred Premiere Pro in that way. And like, and I totally get it. Like I totally understand why someone would like it, but it just wasn't for me. And when I moved over to Resolve, it's like they've got the cut page, um, which is specifically built for editing and feels very much like a magnetic timeline. Um, and it's built, I think, I think it's supposed to be basically for people coming over from Final Cut Pro. Um, and then they've got a regular edit page that basically functions similarly to Premiere Pro. So I, I and they even, I, I did a, a video recently on, on DaVinci Resolve and like a bunch of the shortcuts and stuff that I use. And the first thing that I said is if you go up to the file menu, go to customize keyboard shortcuts and you can choose, they have pre presets for you. And one of them is like Final Cut Pro. So you can basically take all the default Final Cut Pro uh, keyboard shortcuts. And then one of them is uh, Premiere Pro and you can take all the default. So if you're used to Premiere Pro, you switch it over to that. And all of a sudden, all your shortcuts work, how you knew them, how they, you know, and in the end, like we were kind of saying, I think before we started recording here, all of these programs do the same thing in the end. So if you can make it kind of function in the best way for you personally, I take all my keyboard shortcuts from Pro Tools because I'm so used to my, my audio editing software that when I started using Premiere, the first thing I did was went into the keyboard shortcuts and made them all the same as I knew that they were from Pro Tools. So I've kind of carried that through. And the funny thing is that even in DaVinci Resolve, one of the presets is for Pro Tools. So I could go in and just click that. I've, I've edited way too many things at this point. It's hard to do videos where I'm talking about the, uh, the keyboard shortcuts now because I don't know what the default ones are for any of the programs because I go in and just like mess with them all the time for whatever I think is going to be easiest. But Long story short, yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't supposed to be permanent or intentional that I would switch over to DaVinci Resolve. It was going to be this kind of this kind of uh, Matt Diavella like test, where I was like, I did DaVinci Resolve for thirty days, and here's what I found out. And then I would I figured I would probably go back to Premiere because I really like the Adobe system, um, with the the exception of some freezing and. Uh, and having trouble running on on the Apple ecosystem sometimes. Um, and then I just absolutely fell in love with Resolve and it's got its problems, but they all do. They all do. What's, um, what does the paid for version set you back? How, mu how much is that? I don't even remember, to be completely honest. A couple hundred bucks, something okay. like that. 300 bucks Canadian, I think. So still, uh, still cheaper than um, look Final up. Cut, by the sounds of it. Um, and the less said about uh, Adobe subscription model the better probably. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's something that really upsets people. I I feel so I feel so kind of back and forth on it because it it makes it accessible to people yeah. who might not be able to get it otherwise, right? Like not everybody can afford a $500 piece of software, but most people could probably afford to get a $20 piece of software you know, if they could have it for a month and they could try and learn it kind of thing. Like, and so it's, it's this back and forth thing where it's like, sure. Yeah. Over a bunch of years, you're going to be paying way more for it than you would if you just bought it outright. 
Um, but it makes it so accessible to, to so many more people. Whereas Final Cut, like if you don't have 300 bucks laying around or whatever it costs, um, you're just out of luck. You don't, you don't get it, you know, with the exception of obviously they have the, they have the trial, but let's say you've done your, you've done your trial and then you're just like, well, I don't have, I don't have a budget to drop three or $400 on a piece of software. Like then you are out of totally out of luck. And I think what people don't put into perspective there is that with Adobe, you can cancel at any time. If you're like, I'm not going to use it this month, you know, I'm not going to be making any money on it this month. Like just cancel it for the month and then get it when you are going to be making money with it or something like that. You know, like the subscription model is, is this kind of back and forth thing. And I think it just, uh, people see it as a, as a money grab and because they just want to like villainize companies who do that. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the intention was. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, the funny thing, especially with Adobe was, of course, you know, I, you know, I think we all remember the days when like virtually everybody was using Adobe products, but n- nobody had actually bought one. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that was a, <laughs> yeah. you know, in those days, basically it was, uh, I don't think I, I can't really remember anybody out of the people that I knew that I used to, who'd actually paid for it. And of course it was horrendously expensive that if you, if you wanted to buy the whole creative suite at the time, it was like thousands of, of dollars. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of, there, there were a lot of, what's the word? Illicit copies? Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And they, and they all had the same name on them. When you type oh, in yeah. the code, you, the name would show up as yeah. whatever. I remember, uh, what was it called? Cool Edit Pro or something like that. There was this uh, this audio software when I was like a teenager that everybody had the same. You know what it was? It was the original Fruity Loops before oh. it became FL Studio. And <laughs> yeah. everybody had the same copy from Peter Quistgard or something like that was the was the guy. And everybody knew if you had a had an illegal copy of it because it, it would like showed up at the top of your screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I should say, you know, I've heard about that. Not that I had personally experienced that at all. <laughs> <laughs> a quick disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to say that once I got out of my teen years and I started to like take life seriously, I uh, I I haven't had to do cracked software in a long time. It was good. It was good for learning and and yeah, like yeah. it was yeah. before people figured out free trial things and and downloads and stuff, which obviously DaVinci Resolve hasn't quite figured out yet. But uh, and it was four four hundred and nineteen bucks Canadian for the DaVinci Resolve yeah. thing, which is actually. It's a little bit more expensive than pre or than Final Cut Pro, but uh, yeah. So four four hundred Canadian. That's that's about twenty pounds, isn't it? Something like yeah, that. something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like eight eight bucks US. Yeah, and uh, and actually, the, the funny thing if you buy a if you buy a Blackmagic uh, Pocket Cinema four K or six K, I believe you get the software for free. Oh really? Unless, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you buy you buy a fifteen hundred two thousand dollar camera and you get a four hundred dollar piece of software for free. That's good. So Nick, that could be your next purchase. Um, I I, I can't be buying another camera. <laughs> <laughs> Nick has just Nick has literally just sold all of his gear uh, to move fully over to Canon. Um, nice. So he's just dropped, um, you know, a, a lot of cash on. Um, on the C70 and the R6. Yeah. Not allowed um, to say those numbers out loud. Well, nice. You know, but, um, that's very exciting though. Totally yeah. worth it. New gear is always fun. 
I would love to, I would love to get my hands on a, an FX three. Oh yeah. Um, and I wish that it would have got announced before I dropped all that money on the a seven S three. Cause it doesn't make sense to buy the FX three. If I already have the a seven S three, cause they are basically the same camera just with mm. a different shell. But mm-hmm. I love the idea of the new shell <laughs> that they put out. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you have a chance to, to play around with the FX three? I haven't yet. I got a I got an email from from Sony yesterday, kind of being like, "Hey, like we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you wanna you wanna do any reviews or anything?" And I've just been I've been swamped with uh, with other gear and stuff to review yet. But that's it's somewhere on my list to do a to do a video on the FX3, and I'll have to get a get a loaner to do that. But it's, I'm not honestly I'm not really expecting much from uh like it it is the same brains as the A7S three. Like all the all the color profiles and all the uh, recording capabilities are all exactly the same. It's really just the shell is different, and the fact that it comes with the the top handle uh, that has the XLR inputs and stuff like that. Like it's 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 really the the way that I the way that I talked about it because everyone was all upset that they basically put out the same camera. I'm like, think of it as like there's like the the regular car version, and then they put out the hatchback. And it's like, it's got the same motor in it. It's still got the same AC and whatever, but you just like, you just wanted to have the hatchback for a little more space in the, in the trunk or to, to open it up a different way so that you could go camping in it or whatever, you know, it's like just that slight difference and, and you get a new model out of it kind of thing. It's like, that's, that's really what they did. It's like, they just made more options, which they didn't have to do that. You know, they could have, they could have waited until they had some more exciting, exciting things to, to do. And it probably would have cost them less because they wouldn't have had to make new molds and new technology and, and do anything different. They could have just kept using the same body. Like they've been doing with the A7S and A7R and all that kind of thing. They're basically the same body. Mm -hmm. Um, but they did give us that option. And so when people were upset about it, uh, when it first came out and it was almost the same as the A7S on the, on the inside and the, the kind of brains of it, I was like, I feel like you're not seeing the whole, the whole picture of what they've, what they've done for the the community and, and for filmmakers and, and that kind of stuff. Not so much for photographers, but <laughs> anyway, you, you know, can tell I put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> 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 uh, that's, that's like, that's for all the Sony shooters out there, of course. That's, yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Anyone who's like, neither of you guys are Sony shooters. So no, at the moment, but I think, uh, yeah, Nick was, um, you were, you were really, considering Sony at the time, weren't you? I, I mean, was. You, you, you couldn't yeah. make up your mind for a while. Yeah, I was considering the, I was waiting for the A1 announcement to see what mm-hmm. that was going to be all about. Um, and then, oh, such a long story, but it, it came down to that. And it, then it came down to, okay, well, if it's going to do that, what's going to be, then be my main video camera? Is that going to be still as well? What, what's going to be? And then after tons of research, I settled on the C70 and the R6 as the best combination of yeah. um products so the c70 is my main video cam r6 is my main stills cam and r6 also doing as a secondary um uh, video cam as well yeah so it's it, and obviously sharing lenses between them was a big big uh big bonus um to you decided you didn't need 8k for any longer than like five minutes the r6 doesn't <laughs> do 8k Oh, there you go. So you didn't need uh, 8K at all. Didn't, didn't want the 8K. <laughs> it just just seemed uh, just seemed it just didn't make any sense to me to go go for the R5, which is the one that has the 8K raw. Yeah. 
Um, but there are. Does it have 8K for real? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the R6 is cool. It's um, the video capabilities are great, and all that. I've actually used them yet. Um, but the, uh, you know, it, it does 4K. It does 4K 120. Uh, no, 60. 4K 60. 4K 60. Um, and it does overheat. Yeah. Um, it's still got those same R5 problems, but I didn't buy it for video. It's secondary video. That's why I went for the C70's mm. primary video. Yeah. But yeah. Be- because it's a secondary video camera, we always have the Nikon D750, which, you know, does a brilliant job. I mean, it's phenomenal video, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not even going to mention 4K. No, that's that's still got good vi- good video in the right conditions for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the reality is, right? I remember the days when I used to shoot like eight millimeter videotape. So you know, I mean, in comparison to that, even my phone is a marvel of like alien technology. You know, <laughs> so that's you know, I'm not I'm not complaining at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've been thinking, I mean, you know, I've been sort of playing with the idea of um, of changing systems and I'm still in that phase where I'm like, no, yeah, I haven't been able to make up my mind at all, you know. Yeah, just, I, I don't know. It seems like, I feel like people put way too much, too much weight on that. It's like whatever, kind of what we were talking about with software before. It's like they all do the same thing in the end. Exactly. Yeah. You know, all all the different tools, sure, they all have pros and cons and, and stuff like that. But like in the end, it's it's going to come way more down to whether you know how to use them and whether you know your system or not. And you you have to understand and uh, and be able to work around the cons of your system and and really use the the pros to your advantage. But like once you're into a system, like at that point, like at least for a while, definitely stop worrying about uh about the switching over and stuff like that obviously like you you've got experience so this might not be something that you are taking lightly or whatever but uh no i mean the thing yeah. is like you know oh hang on my dog's breaking in <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago um dana challenged us to a five rooms challenge so just to recap the idea was that we would pick up an object from five separate rooms in the house and we would bring them together to create one photograph um so the challenge was really to find to find uh, objects that would work together as an ensemble cast almost in in the photograph um and we've already i mean we've mentioned earlier how difficult that was but nick how did you like how how hard was that for you i i i struggled is the honest answer because um, I, I did uh, three or four times. I walked around the house looking for on different days, looking for objects that I think could go together, and I had no inspiration whatsoever coming to me for whatever reason. I was probably overthinking it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was doing something completely different, and it hit me. So oh, that could work. And I, I just in my head thought, yep. Yeah, I've got that in that room, that in that. Yeah, perfect. I'm going to go with that, and I settled on that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. I found it really hard. Dana, so you've you've already um, you've already told us that you managed to pick up different uh, different objects and then uh, put them together in a, in a slightly sort of unconventional way. Because the thing I really liked about about your photo was the fact that you said like, oh well, I'm going to use the table that I place everything on as one of the objects, and yeah. that's I really hadn't thought of that at all. Yeah. 
I thought about I thought about using I have a, a table in my studio here that is kind of just like my my go to product shot table. Um, and I thought about using that at first and then I but I really like taking photos on my living room table. It's got a really cool grain. It's like a, a live edge kind of wood uh, thing to it. So it's like, it, it really becomes a feature in some of my, some of my photography. And so I thought, you know what, I could, I could either use like the, the flower vase that's sitting on that table, or I could just like use the table itself. And one of my objects was a book, uh, one of my wife's books. And, and I wanted to use that as like the backdrop. It has, it has like a cool texture to it. Uh, and it's just like a nice dark gray kind of thing. And so I thought I'm going to use that as a backdrop. So if I'm like, if I'm using the book as the backdrop and the, and the table is underneath, you know, like the, it's basically doing the same purpose. So I might as well like call that one of the objects kind of thing. Um, and it kept it, it kept it really, uh, really minimal for me, which was, I think is it kind of goes along with my style. I don't necessarily like to like fill up my frame with too many things. Um, and I think beforehand, uh, you know, not unlike Nick, I, I kind of thought everything out before I walked around the house. You know, I, I, I did a, I did a mental walk around and, and kind of picked my objects and kind of planned it, um, ahead without actually like walking around and looking. Cause I thought that might complicate things more than anything. Cause you start to, see too many things and uh, and get too too much going on in your head so i i did a lot of the a lot of the mental work ahead of time and and tried to kind of anticipate the issues that i was going to have the other thing that i did is i just bought a uh the sigma 105 millimeter macro and so i was pretty sure i was going to want to do something really tight and probably of an object that was pretty small um, so that kind of led me in a specific direction too. So kind of, I picked my lens ahead of time before I even knew what the photo was going to be of. I was like, Oh, I want to, I just felt inspired to take photos with my new lens because it's a new toy. Right. Um, and so that kind of, I think it guided me towards what I chose to do and, and how I chose to do it. And I actually, I would, I would challenge you guys to figure out what my fifth uh, item is because I used it in a really interesting way. It seems like this. I see the Pentax, and then there seems to be something like on the on the camera, like a is that the shutter button or is it something that's behind it? Okay, so you got the you got the Pentax. Uh, the the obvious one is the the other obvious one is that little dropper bottle, right? And we got the the table and, and the, the book in the background. Book. And then there's the the fifth item. Is the fifth item off off shot, out out of frame, but reflecting in that bottle? Uh oh, it might be. I don't know actually. I don't know if it's in the. It's. No, no, you can't see it in the bottle. I don't think. Okay. I'm but stunned. it is. It is just slightly at a at a frame. I guess maybe if if uh, we've got our little our little featurettes there. It'll give it away in that, but uh, so when the people watch it, they'll see that. But I used uh, from my kitchen, I used the biggest knife that I could find, Ooh. and I used it just in the in the bottom of the of the frame. So like, just like this to cause oh. like the reflection oh, right, on the okay. bottom there. So that little like that little colorful blue and yep. purple flare that's coming out of the bottom, that's like, yeah. that's the knife in the bottom of the frame. 
I like the fact that um, that your photo and my photo have the one thing in common, which is the like the film the camera, old film it, camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the cop out object, I like to call that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I needed, I needed a, I needed a subject for the for the photo, and that ended up having to be it. But I didn't have any rubber ducks handy, so that was exactly. I thought exactly the same thing. I need to, I need to have like a central piece. Yeah, for it, you know, and that was uh, that was that was exactly it, um, and you know what I mean. What people could possibly see in the background right behind me is uh, like a shelf of Russian doll type of lenses. They'll be forever known as the Russian dolls now. Yeah. Um, but above that is a shelf with lots of old cameras. So um, that was like a it's an easy no brainer for me to pick. Yeah. Yeah, that's always in the background. You never get to see it in my shot because it sits it sits right there on top of this little stack of books. Right. And normally, and right now it's it's still set up from taking that photo. Um, but uh but yeah, it normally sits right there, but I stand right in front of it. So nobody ever gets to see it. Uh, what what I love most about our, our pictures is they're all very different. Really, mm -hmm. really different. And that says so much it, it there's lots of our I, I think our personalities coming out in them um the you know our, the way we thought about doing it you know i've certainly gone for something that in in a way that i've not done before i thought i'll use it as an opportunity to do something different um and and k is a master at flat lays so i thought i'd steer clear of that <laughs> there's no way it's going to be any good so we've talked about our photos a little bit now, um, but it's time to get into a bit more detail. Um, we've each done a short, very short video on our behind the scenes for this. So we're gonna have a little watch of Dunner's first, and then we're gonna ask him about how he went about it. Dunner, talk to us, man. Tell us how you created it. The photo is fantastic. I love looking at it. Sweet, man. Yeah, thanks. And it, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting thing because you can obviously take five things and shove them in a photo that like have their own distinct, like that you can point them out. And one of the things that I tried to do was use the objects in kind of uh, interesting and, and clever ways so that they weren't necessarily uh, part of the photo. Like you don't think of the the background or the the backdrop uh, or the base of it necessarily as an object in the photo, but the, you know, in every photo there's, something that is, you know, either the human or the object is sitting on or sitting in front of that kind of thing. So I tried to use the objects in that way uh, as well. So obviously we've got the uh, the table being kind of our our base level thing. And, and in this case, I felt like I could call it one of the objects because it's, it's an interesting looking table. It's got a really cool uh, type of wood. Um, I wanted to have almost kind of like that dark room kind of look. And so I chose that book for the backdrop. Uh, I really like the texture of it. Although with the shallow depth of field, the texture kind of loses a little bit there, which was, uh, you know, I kind of had to play with that a little bit as well. Um, the, the camera was really, I chose the camera only because I needed, I felt like I needed to have some kind of like an interesting subject. And, uh, and so I, I went with that because it's, uh, it's, it ends up being the subject of a lot of my stuff. It's either a, a knife, a coffee cup, or, a, a my film camera that I never use because it looks cool. Um, and then obviously like the, the little dropper bottle is more just for, 
um, kind of a stylistic reel. There's, there's, or stylistic reason, I should say. There's really nothing like too interesting about it, except that like it's got like a cool color and it's got that a really minimal style, and it kind of shows that you know we're we're within that world of like vintage cameras and leather goods and and you know that kind of stuff where the with the brown bottle that kind of thing um and then the fifth element uh the the tricky one that i used in there being the the knife i i knew that i wanted to use it as a reflective surface i wasn't 100 sure right off the bat as i chose it but i was like okay i'm gonna grab the biggest knife that i can and I'm going to see like maybe there's somewhere where I can use it just to reflect some light or something like that or as like kind of a blurred out object. Um, and what I ended up doing was putting it right underneath the lens and kind of reflecting up and you get these really cool kind of, they almost look like light leaks, but really what you're seeing is the super out of focus edge of the knife right in the in the front of your frame. And there were some points where I you really have to kind of play with it um, to try and get it so that you're not seeing too much, it starts to it starts to actually cover up some parts of the of the photo when you're when you're looking through your your viewfinder and you're tilting the knife and and trying to make it reflect the right amount but not cover up anything. Uh, for some of some of the shots that I took, there wasn't. Um, uh, you couldn't see enough of the table for me to really feel like I called it one of the objects in my uh, in my presentation kind of thing. But so really, it was like it was you know use these five objects, but then also how can you use them in a creative and kind of clever way? And and uh, that's what I came up with. And it's it's a really like it looks like a really simple photo, really. Like it looks like if, if you didn't know any better, you'd be like, okay, he plopped a camera down, plopped a, a bottle next to it and snapped a photo. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily know how much went into the, the making of it or that I specifically chose that spot. Um, it's also all just natural lighting that's in my living room. I didn't use any lights or anything like that. Uh, I wasn't sure if that was going to be cheating, so I just decided to go with natural light. <laughs> I was like, does a light count as an object? No. Um, but yeah, so I, I tried to I tried to just kind of go super simple and uh, uh, I, I, I like the way that it turned out and I think that it's it's one of those things that, like I said, it if you look at it right away, you wouldn't think that there was a lot that went into it, but there was a, a decent amount of uh, of thought and and work that went into getting that kind of final image. Not a lot of time, but a lot of mental work. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that it it it's not something you notice at at first, but that knife really really makes it. It it's such a nice little touch that, and you know that and the uh, the bottle itself because it's such a good as good looking as bottles go. You know it, it's a, <laughs> it's really interesting to look at. And yeah. it really makes it off, and the frame frame is beautiful on it. It works really, really well for me. Um, and I was going to ask about the light, whether that was just natural or not. It, it felt like it probably was, but I wasn't sure. Wasn't sure. Yeah, nothing, nothing fancy happened in there. Just whatever, whatever happened to be hitting the the living room table. I didn't even, I didn't move the table or anything. I just kind of slapped everything down and in the in the spot that looked like it was going to get the light that I wanted and at mm -hmm. the angle uh, so that I wasn't blocking out too much of the light and and that kind of stuff. But the and the bottle really ended up having a really nice 
kind of line on it. The nice thing about about circular or cylindrical objects like that is that you you get that kind of you get those vertical lines where there are where the light hits it in the right way. And so you get this kind of cool look on it where you get lots of contrast all within that one image. Yeah. Or within that one object, I should say. I think the tricky thing with um, photographs like this is very often, you know, to really make it look like it's natural light, you know, so even if that was like, let's say a full studio um, shot with like artificial light or something, you actually put a lot of work into making it appear like it's natural light, you know, which which is the thing with flat lays very often, because you just want to make it look like it's beautiful window light when actually it's all just shot. In a, in a dark studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, totally. So so I think, you know, when you're when you're in the lucky position where you actually find a pocket of light, like in, in your living room or somewhere, you know, where you can utilize that, then that's, you know, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm lucky in our place because it's, we've got windows on two sides. So generally you've got nice light kind of filling up the room. So you've got a decent amount of um, a decent amount of soft light in there. But then if you hit it during the right time of day, you can also get that nice kind of beamed in from one of the many windows that are, are surrounding you. So it kind of like, it's got a, it's got a really great setup unless you want to control it. Uh, because you just got to like either wait, wait for the right time of day or don't shoot photos because it can be, it can also be really annoying if you're like, okay, I want this kind of light, but right now, that's not what we have or today's overcast or whatever it happens to be. You're just like, you're, you're totally out of luck. You just got to wait for the right moment. And, and when I shot that photo, I, I got what I wanted anyway, which was, uh, which was super lucky. (laughs) All in, how long did it take you to kind of create this photo? Um, (laughs) I'd say eight minutes. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and here's the, here's the, the fun part. So I mentioned earlier that I did a lot of the planning ahead of time. So, I mean, if you, if you count that and like the amount of time that I was thinking about it, maybe like a half an hour total, you know, throughout the last couple of weeks or whatever, when I was like pondering what I might do. Um, but yeah, it's like, honestly, I walked around the house, I grabbed everything I needed. I threw it all on the table. The light looked how I wanted it to. I knew what lens I was going to use. I knew kind of how I wanted the framing. I knew that I didn't want it uh, directly at the background. I wanted to, to have a slight angle. So it's like I had done most of most of the work in my head, almost like I could see the photo before I took it kind of thing. And then uh, the knife took a little bit of time to, to just kind of get that angle. But and so I mean I'm sure it felt like a lot longer. But when I if I was to really time it, I'm sure it was only a couple of minutes. But to try and get that get that just right where where it was a uh, a nice kind of soft light on the bottom that was that was adding in there something that looked like a light leak without uh, without covering up part of the frame. Um, and then to edit it, I I I didn't even bother going into into Lightroom or Capture One or anything. I transferred it directly from my camera to my phone, and I just quickly whipped it up in Lightroom Mobile, and uh, I emailed it straight to you from my phone. <laughs> Brilliant, amazing! <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. You see, it. Don't know what you're just saying there about the, the the thought that went into it before you even set up a camera, right? Mm. That's just testament to how important it it can be to just do a bit of planning and how much simpler it makes your life when you go into it. Cause you know, mm. yep, I know exactly where they're going to go. I know how I'm going to frame it. I know what I'm going to do with this. I already know what I've got going on with the light. I know where the camera's going to go. 
mm. and you're away. And like you say, it took you eight minutes once you started. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Right. So, Nick, give us the lowdown on your photo. How did you put that together? Yeah, as I've said a couple of times now, you know, I struggled coming up with an idea um, of what to actually do. Um, and then I was actually doing some, um, I've been doing a lot of self-portraits and whatnot at home lately, and I was doing some with gels. Um, and it didn't hit me when I was doing them, but some of the gels were still out. And I looked at them and I think maybe the light from the uh, uh, living room window was coming through. And, I thought, and it suddenly just hit me. What if I try and do a photo where the objects relate to light and or color? And so that's what I did. And I, I then um, mentally, much like Dana, I was sat on the sofa and I thought, right, okay, yeah, there's something in that room, something in that room. And right, that's what I'm going to go with because they relate to light and they relate to, to color. So that's why I chose the objects that I, I chose. So um, the three objects you can see are the Edison bulb kind of light, the candle, and the, uh, the, the yellow rubber duck um, from the bathroom. What's nigh on impossible to make out is that on the left-hand side there, the red, that's actually a lava lamp. And mm. on the right-hand side of the picture, where it's kind of darker um, with all the bokeh going on, um, that's actually a, and I still can't, I couldn't, when I was doing my little video, I couldn't remember what it's called and I still can't remember what they're called right now. But it's one of those um, like thermometer style, you know, in big glass tubes, Galileo, Galileo thermometer. I think that's what it's called. With the little bulbs in it? Floating in yeah. water. Um, oh, right. That's okay. what that is there. So you, they're really close at the edge of the table, um, right near the lens. And then the other items are actually set much further back. And then about a meter and a half behind that is a black um, background. Um, so that's the general kind of setup. There's probably mm. several inches actually in between each of those items, um, but the way it's being is compressed um, makes it obviously look a lot a lot mm. closer. Um, so, from a lighting perspective, there's no lighting involved as such. I light painted it. Um, so how I actually went about that is you see the blue streaks in the background. What I actually did was try a new technique and I got my iPad. I got an image on there of varying colors, um, different colors of blue. There's about maybe 10 different lines across the screen of the iPad. Mm. And I took a 10 second exposure and I literally on the edge of the table, just dragged my iPad across like that to create those light streaks. Cool. That took about five seconds to get it flat and get it the way I looked, I wanted it to look. And then I took the iPad with the light on. This is all at full brightness. And then went and even the long exposure was enough to expose the items, but just to add a little more to it, hmm. I went in with the iPad and went around the items to, to cast some of that light um, onto those objects. So yeah, so that's how it, how it got lit. This ended up being a composite of two photos. One photo is everything that you see except the flame and the, the detail in the center of the Edison bowl. That, right. that wasn't a long exposure. That was done at like <clears> one <throat> two fifty of, of a second, something mm. like that. So I could freeze the motion in that. Uh, a, I could freeze the motion in the flame and the shutter speed was such that actually I could get some decent detail in the, um, uh, in the Edison bowl because it wasn't quite there. It was, it was more blown out when you had a longer exposure. I'm loving the idea with the iPad though. I mean, that's, that's very cool. Yeah, that's very I cool. I don't know where I saw it. I think I just happened across something on online one day a, a mm. while ago, 
And I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll try that one day and stored it in the back of my mind. And I thought, yeah, let's just give it a go. It's light, it's colour, hmm. perfect opportunity. <laughs> did you like? Did you have to do several takes on that or was that like a one take wonder type of thing? Uh, yes and no. I, I I did several different setups. And, and what I mean by that is just where the items were positioned. I moved them and I took a few photos like that um, until I landed on this this setup here. Once I landed on that, I, I, I think I think I only took two shots. One right. shot, uh, I did the light painting twice because I didn't quite get it right first time. I moved too quickly with the iPad, um, and then the other, the additional shot on top was then just I did, just took one photo for the flame and the mm. uh, the detail and the Edison bulb. Yeah, it is so, there's, there's so much color going on in that. It's it's, uh, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kay, as you know, I said earlier, master of flat lays. It's awesome. Love it. Tell tell us about it, man. And um, well, I think I mean, if, you know, the, the first problem was actually to find um, to find the objects, you know, to find objects that um, would sort of relate to each other in some way, shape, or form. And I think much like Donna, I went for that that kind of leather, um, you know, cloth type of coffee dark kind of sensibility. Um, and, and so, you know, I was like, I'm and ahhing about different things. Um, and I probably had like, I don't know, I probably had like 20 objects, uh, in the end that I'd sort of kind of almost like earmarked for it. Um, and then I realized that I needed to find a centerpiece, you know, something that was going to be the focal point, um, of, of the image. And, and so, uh, you know, I just, well, it, it was just a second nature to basically pick a classic camera. And this is like one of my favorite uh, pieces on my shelf is an old Olympus, um, yeah. you know, film camera. Um, and so, and then, you know, from there on, you know, you then kind of start building stuff around that. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, I love doing flat lay. So it was, it was kind of second nature to really go and do a flat lay because that's just what I, I just love doing it. And it's, you know, it's, I like the process of putting it together. So I, f- I forever fiddle with, every little detail on it. Um, and then I literally take like probably three photos and that's it. You know, yeah. so once, once it's set, it is set. And then, you know, it's really just a matter of, of, uh, of photographing it. So, um, so, so different objects are really just, uh, there's a, there's an old army bag that I picked up, uh, which is like, I think it's like a 1950s, a British gas army gas mask bag that I picked up because I thought, um, it th- I thought it would make a really awesome little camera back when I'm just out and about. Um, <laughs> and it still smells of the gas mask though. That's the funniest thing about this. It's like, it, it seriously, it has this rubbery thing. And the one thing I found in there was like, it's this little, like this little pot of like waxy kind of stuff that I'm not so sure what they use that for, probably to kind of keep the rubber of the gas mask lubricated sure. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But the whole thing smells of that. So it's got this weird, I don't know, this chemical war <laughs> kind of smell to it. It's oh, just man. weird. It just smells like war. Yeah, it smells like war. So, But it's a cool little bag, and I, I like it, you know, to take out and all that. Um, and... Um, and then, you know, that, that's my journal that I use. Uh, Nick, you know it well. I use it all the time. It's like the thing I take with me because I'm that like old school that I literally have an old leather bound journal that I use for all sorts of different things. Whilst, you know, because I, at some point I got rid of, of using, um, you know, scheduling apps on my phone and I wanted to go, you know, totally analog when it comes to that. It actually has helped me 
to kind of re, you know organize my life better. It's just because I can sit down every morning over a cup of coffee and just go through my day and actually handwrite it all in. And so it's just a thing that I don't know. It's just my little routine in the morning, and it's kind of cool. And of course, that goes along with coffee because that's also you know a big part of that. And all the Canadians. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the call will basically, you know, attest to that. That's the way Secure to go. the cup, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. So, you know, so it was kind of clear, you know, from the outset that coffee would have to play some kind of role in that. Um, and then really, you know, I found uh, I, I found an old uh, cast iron skillet that I love. Um, but again, it's like one of these old, oldie worldy kind of things um, that seemed to work really quite well with the whole thing. And, you know, everything else in there is really just dressing. You know, yeah. so, um, you know, once you put the things together, it's like, you know, when I, when I make a flat later, one, one of the things that I like doing is, you know, some people like this really clean kind of look. I always like to put a whole lot of atmosphere in and add some grit um, and utilize maybe some of the other objects that are already in the, in the shot or just, yeah, just to give it some kind of context and like mm -hmm. dirty it up a little bit. You know, it's a little bit like, like the comparison between um, the Star Wars prequels and the original trilogy right in the original trilogy everything's dirty and used and that's why it's it that's why it looks the way it looks and that's why i think why people love it because it's got this used look um and then of course you've got the prequel where everything's squeaky clean and new and it just looks like trash yeah. do you know what i mean it's yeah. uh, you know i'm very sorry for those star wars fans out there who are into the uh the prequel but you know let's uh those shall not speak of those on this podcast. <laughs> anyway. So you're saying I shouldn't start speaking like Jar Jar Binks anytime Whoa! soon. Whoa! <laughs> That's really hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I, when I first saw that first movie and the, the first uh, trade, what is it called? The Trade Corporation uh, dude comes in and speaks with an Italian accent. That was... Uh, I was done with that movie right there. And that was like three minutes in. <laughs> it's like, right, we're done here. <laughs> that alien does not have an Italian accent. Forget about it. <laughs> so, you know, anyway. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and so the beans and the, um, and, you know, and the dirt and, and everything else, uh, that's actually just coffee powder. So I kind of, you know, I thought like I had beans and I had powder coffee and whatever. Um, Which room did the straw come from? The rabbits. <laughs> that came actually so that was you know that was literally just something i thought like okay i need some more like the atmosphere texture. yeah some t more texture in there and um so my my studio bit my, my little home studio bit is basically that's like a little sort of a glass french door leading out into the garden and then and the rabbit hutch is right opposite that so i literally just as i was thinking about it i just turned my head and i think and i'm, I'm looking right at the rabbits and i'm thinking straw that's it so, you know, so that was that. Um, yeah, and that's that's really basically it. I mean, technically speaking, it wasn't a particularly complicated shot. Um, the whole thing, the whole arrangement was really just placed on the same old wooden oak board that I've been using for years to photograph virtually half my life on. Um, it's this big uh, wooden board thing. I, I, I think it used to be a shelf in a storage room or something like that. Mm. And it's just got this great texture and I use it for so many different things. I use it as backgrounds. I use it as um, like, you know, I use it for flat lays and all the rest of it. And that's just my go-to, my go-to background. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. But 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that, was, that was it. Uh, it was lit with a uh, seven-foot octobox, which is <laughs> massive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because, I mean, because, yeah, so the thing there is, uh, you, you know, you want to create... Um, you want to create that appearance of it being big window light. And of course, you know, from a studio perspective, if you want, you know, you need to have a big light source that's relatively, that's basically big and soft. So mm. a big, uh, a big soft box. Seven foot. Yeah, seven foot. Yeah. Like the, like the, the diameter of it is seven feet. Yeah. That's yeah, gigantic. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's huge. Um, but uh, I've used it for many things and it's, um, I love it. It's actually great for portraits, believe it or not, because it's such a big light source. And it just yeah. creates that really um, soft wraparound light. So mm. the thing with this is, um, and although it does fall off into into the shadows a little bit, I like that because it gives it some contrast. But there were no reflectors um, set up anywhere. It was literally just that one light. Um, so mm. it, it was so big that it literally just wrapped itself around it. Um, and that's why I like it. This really, it's a no-frills kind of deal it's basically you just set that thing up it has this really beautiful um soft light and i you know i've used it for many things and it was kind of like again it was sort of a, a go-to kind of a thing um for me well and it does make it feel natural too because you know if you think about like if i i imagine this one of the things that i love about this photo is that i feel like it does feel like all of the things pulled from a single scene like it looks like you went mm. camping yes you know and you had your, the bag is like what you were carrying your stuff in, or you like, you know, you're, you're out and about and you've got all this stuff on you for like a little camping trip or something like that. Like you got to eat dinner, you got to have coffee. You're mm. going to take pictures while you're out there and you want to take field notes kind of thing. And you put it exactly. all in the bag. It almost looks like it just like spilled out all together. And I think yeah. that's one thing that, that your photo has that maybe didn't quite come off in the other two, like mine with the camera and the bottle. It's like, what are those doing together? That's my, that's my beard oil in that bottle. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, maybe you could assume that it's like some kind of lubricant for my old camera or something like that, but like, they don't really technically go together except for just like aesthetically they look nice together and then obviously like in in nicks we've got the the duck and the candle it's like you know kind of got this like what are these doing here together and it's more about the it's more about the colors and stuff like that but like yours is you know like it's got a little bit less of like the complication that me and nick did with mm -hmm. our our fancy light trickery but it's just like such a such a story scene you know, like, it's like, I feel like that, that scene, you can make up a story in your head really easily with it. And I think that's exactly, uh, that's the trick with, uh, with flat lays. It's the story, the storytelling, uh, the mm -hmm. context kind of aspect, because, exactly. you know, you can, you can pick up some random, and, and I think that's, that's for me was actually the challenge really was to find objects that would relate to each other in, you know, um, you know, in texture and in color and in story, you know, in context, basically that, yeah. that uh, I think I spent the most time, um, thinking about that. I mean, I spent probably a whole week just trying to fit that together. Um, yeah. because then the actual process of laying this out on the floor was super quick. Um, you know, I literally, I think that to arrange that maybe, you know, took me, I don't know, half an hour maybe, you know, if even, um, you know, there were probably a, a couple of lighting tests 
you know, and that was it. And then, you know, it was good to go, really. Um, so it was, you know, simple. And then, of course, the editing. The editing on this is not that not that heavy either. It's a little bit of, um, you know, dodging and burning pretty much going on. But that's about it, you know. And then it's just a matter of... I Actually, I feel one of the hard things with flat lace is the cropping. The crop is really essential. Um, yeah. And because, again, it just... That's part of the storytelling aspect uh, for me always is that, you know, the way you crop it will basically uh, push the emphasis on wherever you want it to be. And so it'll it'll put whatever you want to be the focal point into the focal point. And so in this in this case, it's a little bit like you've got the camera. The camera quite clearly is the focal point and everything else is like creeping into the scene, you know, in a way. And um, that works just as well as a square crop for the same reason, you know, mm -hmm. so whether it's an eight by 10 crop or a square crop in this case is actually neither here nor there. So, so that's, um, you know, that is always the, is the thing, but that's, that's, that's really, that is why I love making flat lays so much is because you can kind of tell us, you tell that story in a photograph rather than, you know, and in the video that I made in the, the behind the scenes video, it was all about telling the story of how that, picture came together and that's mm. that's basically yeah. so I'm, I'm wondering whether you should be disqualified um <laughs> again whether each bean <laughs> and whether each coffee bean should be counted as a single object i don't know even even if you don't go into all the beans in that photo you got a lot of extra stuff in there yeah yeah so i mean that's you know of course that's really that's just kind of set dressing and um you know as nick knows um and i'm sure as, as uh, our, our listeners know um, set dressing is one of the things that I love doing all the time when I do like bigger shoots. I just I just like fiddling around with stuff and putting you know putting stuff in that work together like this tea towel thing and the the wooden spoon. None of that really qualifies as as. I mean, you could argue these are additional objects, for sure. I think me but, and Donna definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you've seen our efforts. Why didn't you just go right ahead and create your own five-room challenge at home? We would love to see what you come up with. All you've got to do is pick one object from five rooms in your house, put them together, take a photograph, and tag us on Instagram by using the hashtag CameraShakePodcast. Now, we have come to the end of this week's episode. Again, if you are listening to the audio version of that, you might as well just head over to YouTube where you can not only hear our sultry voices, but see our lovely faces in full Technicolor. Send us a like click the subscribe button that would be super awesome also you could join the camera shake community just head over to cameraShakepodcast.com, uh, join the community there it'd be lovely to see you there you can also uh, get hold and watch some extra behind the scenes footage uh, but for now we will say goodbye we'll see you again next thursday